No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world, and I got my man Court with me, and I'm just overjoyed and incredibly happy to be bringing a rapper who I was listening to so much when I was like 19, 20, back in the, the prime of my life. Cassidy's albums were definitely a very, very significant soundtrack around that time, so it's, it's amazing to have you in here, man. Appreciate you, man. Thanks a lot, man. Couldn't have did it without you. You one of the reasons why I got the success I got. That's real, man. Support. I one of my I, I couldn't find it today, but like the first BMX video I ever edited myself, I remember I used AM to the PM as the, the soundtrack. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Neo. He produced that record. Right. Neo the Matrix. Okay. Yeah, that was a classic right there. Yeah, he from Philly too, where I'm from. One of the producers that I was working with like the whole time back then. Right. So can we go into a little bit of uh, your early days in ter- before we even get into anything current? Can we talk a little bit about who Cassidy was before you became a, a rapper or a rap star? Um, I started rapping in the fourth grade. So before that, it wasn't really much to me. I was just a kid. You know right. What I'm Do you remember any of your raps from the fourth grade? Um, yeah, I remember my first rap I oh. ever wrote. Can we get that? Like, is that is that cool with you? I mean, <laughs> it's like I don't know if the people want to hear, but I was in the fire prevention program, and the teacher was going around the program asking people what they want to be when they grow up. Everybody was giving generic answers like a doctor, a lawyer, a cop, or something like that. So when they got to me, I was like, I'm gonna be a rapper, just playing around. Just, you know what I mean, on some class clown shit. But the teacher, like, all right, if you're going to be a rapper, write a rap about fire prevention. Come say it to the class, and we'll let you know if you could be a rapper or not. <laughs> and so, that was the day you wrote six minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the, the teacher, like, put me under pressure to class, like, oh. So I'm like, oh, snap. So that was the first time I felt obligated to write a rap. Went home that whole night. I was focused on it, got it down packed, memorized it, came and said it to the class the next day, and they went crazy. Really? They was, like, asking me all these questions and screaming and responding all crazy, and that feeling of being able to think of something, write it down, and impress people, that feeling was um was so crazy that I just said I wanted to be a rapper from that point on. So you had never had that experience before of like just being really good at something and ha- and getting the appra- the praise from your your peers at that time. Um, I felt like I was always good at stuff. Um, I always got straight A's in school. I always used to win at like video games, uh, like games we used to play curveball and um, I used to be boxing and slap boxing a lot. Always was like super sharp. So I was used to doing stuff good, but. Um, I ain't really feel the same feeling from it. Like, people would tell you you was good, like a couple of people, but I never really felt the same feeling as I felt when I said that rap. And some of the bars was pay attention. It's something I like to mention, the rules and the safety about fire prevention. Mm. SOS, silence, order, and speed. If you burn, you learn, and concern, if, then you'll need to listen up because this is all that i ask it's not a hard subject it's a real easy task the fire alarm this bell gives off a signal boop if you don't then it will awake the house for all to get out if you have a fire escape use it with no doubt and make sure your family members are just safe because you could replace a house but not a human face 
and don't smoke in bed. It's not a joke, you'll be dead. And listen to the rhymes that Barry B said. Before I end, before I retire, one more thing. If your clothes catch fire, stay calm, keep control. Drop to the ground, spin and roll. Roll and spin over and over again. It's my fire prevention rapping is done, my friend. Oh, Peace. my God. <laughs> fourth you, grade shit. You was not in fourth grade. I find that hard to believe, man. My first fourth. rap. Son, if I was your teacher, I would have started a record label right then and there. I would have tried to sign your ass. That's crazy. Appreciate you, man. That's wild. What? Okay, so what were you listening to, though? Who were who were the goats to you when you were at that age? So many, man. Um, My mom and my dad both rapped before I was born. So I came up on hip-hop. So mm -hmm. um, everybody from the older cats like Grandmaster Cash and... You know what I mean? And Melly Mel to Big Daddy King, KRS-One, Rakim, like Special Ed, um, Biz Markie, Schooly D, um, EST, Cool C, Steady B. Yeah. Um, so this is making me realize that you, you've got many years in the game ahead of me. Because, like, you know, I feel like a, it must be kind of crazy to have been in the rap game for so long because so many of those names are people that, even me at almost 40, I really started listening to rap, like, around the time that, like, Snoop and Dre came in, you yeah, know? Yeah. So it's like, for me, before that, it's like I know about it, I can read about it and stuff, but I didn't experience it while it was happening. Yeah. I mean, I was still young, too. I mean, a lot of them dudes was doing stuff before I was born, but... Like I said, my mom and my dad rapped before I was born, so I just was in the culture. I just was studying the people that came before me, the people that was popping at that time, you know what I'm saying? So I was caught up in all of that. I would say, like, more of my time, when I was, like, super a kid, Will Smith's first album was mm -hmm. out. He had Philly on Smash, especially for the kids, and I was, like, a super kid, you know what I'm saying? Um but as I started to get older, like, you know what I mean? That's when Big started to, you know, t take over and was crazy and Pac and then Nas. Like, so, um, like early Jay-Z, um, the Wu-Tang Clan, mm. like when they first started to pop. Like, that's like my childhood when I was a teenager and making the transition from like the younger rap, like in Will Smith and MC Hammer and just like in dance, whatever. Like, you know what I mean? To really understanding lyrics better, being in the street so I could understand the street talk that rappers was doing, and that's when I really started to dissect music a little more. Right. Yeah, so you were outside, to say the least, as a young guy? For sure. What was what was your environment like? Like, were you, were you seeing wild shit from a super young age, and was it was hip-hop, like, you couldn't separate it from that? Or was, cause, or was there a time period where hip-hop was this, like, completely separate thing, and whatever was going on outside was its own thing? Um... Yeah, when I first started rapping in the fourth grade, I ain't connect the streets with rap. It was just all about, um, it was like an art. It was just like, you know what I mean? Something I love and I wanted to do. And I wasn't in the streets yet. I was in the fourth grade. Mm. So I wasn't really, you heard that fire prevention rap. That wasn't like a street <laughs> rap. That was right. like a, you know what I mean? Kid rap, like, you know what I mean? A lot of these drill rappers, we couldn't get them to write a fire prevention rap, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But they, they don't got the range. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they do fire promotion. Them niggas start fires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So I don't know. I mean, as I got older, though, and I started to get more into the streets, that's when I started to listen to more street rappers like G-Rap, like early Scarface. Mm. And, like, them dudes was, like, um, showing me how to, like, really talk that street shit. So where are we in terms of age with this period of, like, listening to G-Rap and all of them? Is this, like, middle school, high <laughs> school? Um... Like elementary school, like oh, still. So, I, so from fourth to fifth grade, you got into all of the street shit. That's hard, man. Yeah, like, and then in the, in the middle school, I started getting more in the street shit. You know what I mean? And by the time I was like four, 14 and 15 years old is when I started really being like outside, really getting involved in shit. So I started making the transition from like the rappers I used to like to liking street rappers because I mm. understood them better. I knew what they was talking about and I could relate better. Mm. And um, I was really like cannabis out. They had a tape with like half cannabis, half DMX. Mm. And ironically, I got down with Rough Riders, which is DMX label, you right. know what I mean? But I didn't know them at that time. I just had the tape. And I was super locked in the cannabis side because he was super lyrical and punching and using figurative language. And that's the first person I heard doing it, like, um, not doing it all together, but of that magnitude, like back-to-back figurative language. Like, soon as you catch it one thing, he probably done said something else. He don't even give you time to sit with shit. Even his name is a bar, so I understand that. Yeah, so I was super impressed with that. Back in the and, day, um, it's, hard, it's probably impossible for people to understand the level of hype that there was around cannabis at a certain point because he was supposed to be like the lyrical god rapper at a certain point. And then it, if, it did kind of feel like that whole LL beef kind of f- fucked shit up or slowed it down at least for a while there. Yeah, what he said, yeah. 99% of your fans don't exist. Like, that was crazy. He, yeah. he got uh, out of it. That's a whole thing, yeah. The whole Wyclef angle of it and everything. Lyrically, he a genius. So, you know, he wanted the dudes that inspired me. But I wanted to, like, do what he was doing, using a bunch of figurative language, punching crazy, talking crazy, and saying that I wanted to battle all the time. Mm. But mix it with the street dudes that I like, that was talking that street talk and using street words and, different type of vocabulary so i wanted to like combine all of that together and that's what i did and that's the style that i came out with and ever since then it's like you know people been trying to do it but you ain't had nothing like it like super lyrical like the backpackers like you know what i mean before they used to use vocabulary and words that street niggas couldn't even relate to and the street niggas was so street that the lyrical niggas ain't like them. Yeah. But I figured out a way to bring that together where I'm like super lyrical and I'm in the street. So yeah. I, when I was listening, because like your first two albums are like the ones that have the, the biggest like imprint in my mind at that time, you know, and I listened to both of them over the weekend and I was just trying to like place myself in terms of like hip hop flow history because I know that your shit sound like when I first heard it, it just sounded so solid and so hard and so like I don't know. There was like a a structure to it in mm-hmm. the sense like, and it's it's really it's very similar to the way that you speak, where you speak like very measured and like there's a there's like a cadence to it and like there's always like a consistency in your raps where it's like no matter what you're saying, it's like you always. I guess you could say you always like choose the correct number of syllables per bar and stuff. You never try to overstuff it. You let the you let the beat breathe a little bit. You're not scared to take a little bit of space in between bars. I don't know. It's like I was just really thinking like about how how much it stood out to me, especially when I first heard you. Appreciate that, man. 
Um, yeah, that's something that I'm dedicated to. Like, you'll never hear me going off for um, one syllable. Mm. Like, I never rhyme one syllable, and you never heard me, like, go for four to eight bars or piecing up one syllable. I don't care how deep the thought is. I just don't do that. Like, I've been piecing up syllables since I first came out. Like, you know what I mean? When they first heard me on Rough Riders Compilation Volume 2 or when you first heard me on Big Business. Mm. That record I was piecing up since then. And using figurative language and punching. That's why the first bar that I ever came out with was like to the to the masses was I got a large house, a dog house in my backyard. And even my dog house got a backyard. Like that's like the first two bars of the rap. And when I say that, it's like people still could remember it to this day, like it's a chorus or something. And that's like difficult to do. And that was my intentions to make impressions on people with bars and lyrics like that. Yeah, as far as like the multi-syllabic shit, I haven't heard anyone do it. At, 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 like at the time when you started doing it or when you came out, nobody was doing it like that since where I came. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when I was younger, like I'm much younger than you guys. Y'all some old ass niggas, right? And I mean that in the most respectful way, but y'all read the newspaper and shit. So <laughs> I delivered them. Oh, that's hard. <laughs> but when I remember when you said I forgot what was the line before that, but it was like, um, try box, you'll get shot while your fist swinging. And I'm just like, yo, mm-hmm. that's crazy. This nigga hit so many parts of the word where it's like a lot of people throw away words. Like words may seem insignificant, but with your with your style of rapping, there is no insignificant word. Everything is useful. Like sure. you get as much out of the word like how Indians used to skin the whole animal and break down the bones <laughs> and use them as spoons and shit. That's what was cool to me. Yeah, and I always wanted to do it in talk form. That's why people say when they hear me talk, it's just like listening to my music. It's the same way, cause I don't like to put words together that I would never really like using a sentence or I wouldn't mm. say it like that. It's like some people lyrical, but they use words and make words rhyme that you would never hear. And it's like, I don't like that. I don't like when people rap like how you don't talk. Yeah. Like, like I like for you to rap exactly how you talk, make your point, but just make it rhyme and like put a lot of figurative language and shit in it, but make it like conversation way. Yeah, like I like a lot of the drill rappers and the younger rappers and stuff. But sometimes when I hear them just rapping so fast and it just kind of feels like they don't put any kind of importance into their sentences, you know, like it just doesn't feel like it's important enough to them for them to stress, you know, like uh, having like real kind of complexities to what they're saying or whatever. And sometimes that just really makes me feel like we've lost something in the sense where it's so easy to put music out and there's so much music coming out that the younger generation, and I hate to sound like old head, but they just don't. They just don't care as much as it was normal to care at a certain point when we were younger. Yeah. And because of that technology and because they could put music out, um, they, like, don't want to go as hard. You know what I'm saying? Because before you felt like you had to be a certain level of, like, dopeness to even get a deal or get heard or get on. But now anybody feel like, yo, I could just make a song and put it out. It don't even matter. And you hear a lot more artists that you wouldn't have heard back in the day Mm because they would have never had backing management. They would have never got a deal and they would have never had enough money for you to ever hear them. Mm -hmm. But now with these new platforms and the way music is, you're hearing a lot of artists that ain't go through artist development that you shouldn't even be hearing yet. 
Not saying they not talented or they don't got something to bring to the table, but they ain't get developed yet. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I signed my first deal when I was 17 years old, but I ain't come out with my first album until I was 21 years old. So that's like, you know, years and years, like going to college of grinding. So so let us know about... The build up to you signing, what was that like? Because you were, you, I mean, I didn't realize you signed at 17. Like, that's so young that you probably were still just a kid, like, didn't really have too much experience. Like, how'd they find you? Um, and then there's ups and downs to that technology. Like, imagine if I had this social media stuff when I was 17. Oh, yeah. I was super nice. So I could have got online and went viral and everybody was going crazy. But as far as the other steps, like uh, making music and the business and all of the other stuff that I was uninformed about, I would have had to learn right away. And that's like impossible to do. So um, I feel like that's what's like hurting mm. us right now. It's like advantages and disadvantages because you're not getting no artists that's developed and going through the right process to get dope. That's true. Definitely. So, okay, sorry. Sorry for kind of interrupting there. But uh, in terms of what it took for you to sign like how, how what was the actual process like oh yeah um well i guess the first process was i i was on my block rhyming one of my friends still my friend his name's scooby he heard me rhyming on the block and he like yo you sound crazy i want to introduce you to my uncle and his uncle was rest in peace william hart the lead singer of the delphonics hmm. it's like one of the biggest groups Ever, but they like um from Philadelphia and he the lead singer and was writing all of the songs. So he started managing me and giving me advice about the industry and that's how I first started to get like information about it. But he had a son named DJ Romance that worked on the Radio One station in Philly. Told me about another DJ on that station that was doing a show called The Cypher. Mm. I entered in the Cypher, started winning for months at a time so much that they had to retire me and made me a radio personality to host other people's ciphers. But this was before social media, so everybody knew my voice and the name the boy B, but they didn't know what I looked like or mm. my age or nothing really. So I wanted to be in the streets and connect that voice that they heard on the radio every day to me. So that's when I started battling crazy and going crazy in the streets for like a year time. And after that, that period of time, I met TD, the negotiator, that's Swiss Beats, biological dad. Mm. But he came to Philly in the barbershop because they used to live in Philly back in the day. So they be passing through a lot. While he was passing through, he stopped in the barbershop and was asking about who's hot and who got bars. And my barber told him, my barber name was Sharp. He told him about me and then called me to the barbershop. I came through, start rhyming for him. Made a super impression on him. He took my information, and he the one that called me to New York for me to meet his brothers, DNY, the CEOs of Rough Riders. Right. I met them. You know, they put me through, you know, they put me through the, like, the grind, the, the, the battles, and, you know, unexpected shit just to see how I can handle the, you know what I mean, the pressure. But I stood tall, and then I got signed not too long after that. But I was in a three-man group called Larceny Family. Mm. Me, Shiz Lansky, and Kyle Akbar. I was like a solo artist, but I just brought them from the city with me, and we just act like we was a group and got a deal together. Mm. So I remember when Twitter first came out, and you was on there as Cassidy Larceny. Is that a part of what that was? or? 
Larceny yeah. family ever since. Yeah, well, huh? that's my social media, Cassidy underscore Larceny. Larceny is like um a family. Larceny family is like a bunch of people. But Larceny was an actual group, the three-man group that I was signed to Rough Riders with. Well, my first deal was in a three-man group, and we was called Larceny. That's cool. For sure. So the boot camp element to it like like that's the thing that people always complain that artists don't get these days is like oh there's no artist development like mm-hmm. for, you know labels just sign artists let them just keep doing what they're doing and then if something pops then they get to participate in it and otherwise it's just whatever to them but if like i've heard that story too because i remember listening to a gin interview and him kind of having that same conversation about rough riders where he signed and then it was just years and years of him recording music and working at his shit before he got a chance to drop an album. They were real serious about that mentality of like they were going to make you as good as you could possibly be before they presented you to the world. Yeah, it was that in is um it's a business, like you know what I'm saying, in order to put artists out, you need budgets. You need like a a major over top of the production deal with Rough Riders. Mm-hmm. So you know, they had big artists like DMX, and he was going through, like, Def Jam. And then they had The Locks and Eve and Drag, and different people was going through different labels. Some was Interscope. Some was, like, different places. But they had majors who was putting up the money for them to come out. Hmm. But when you sign to that production company, you don't really got no budget yet. So you got to prove yourself or create some type of energy to make somebody want to give you a budget or make them focus on you to go get you a budget. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's where Jim was at. Like he must have needed to make the right records. You know, they probably believed in him ahead of time because he had bars and he was Asian. And just imagine if you could get all of the people from where he from or just a small percentage of them mm. to lock in and support. Right. It could be a crazy look. So I think that was the initial plan. But, you know, once they started creating the records, I guess he probably couldn't get it how he wanted it, and that's why he was waiting. Did Rough Riders feel like a family at that time, or was it more like a business situation? Like, did you feel like you were a part of that, or was it more like you're kind of just on the bench, like trying to become part of it? Both. <laughs> I felt like – I felt – um like a family, I felt the family vibes. We was family. Like it was like um, you could feel the family vibe in a lot of ways, but also it was a business too. And mm-hmm. you had to work for your way. And it's like nobody could really put attention on you if we working on DMX album. Right. You know what I'm saying? Nobody could really put attention on you if we about to release Eve album after she dropped one of them crazy big singles she had. Mm. It's like it's difficult for no matter how hot you is, it's like they really super lit and they already got a history and already known to be able to make records and you just fresh and new. Mm. So to get the attention is difficult and it take grind and it take work. So when I realized that I was in a three-man group, but I realized that we might be stuck or not really be able to release nothing crazy unless we made some type of impact. Mm. So that's when I went on another battle run. Like, yo, nobody could come through here. I don't care if they sign, not sign, old, young. Like, come in smiling, come in with a frown on their face. I don't care. I'm not letting nobody come around me and say they rap and not hear this. And if I do that, then 
it's going to create a situation for me because everybody going to hear about me, be talking about me, and it's going to create something for me. Mm. And that's what happened. After I started going on that run and battling everybody and destroying everybody. And the freeway battle was just like the apex of all that? Um, Ooh. Yeah, it was like, yeah. It was like one of the... Well, it was towards the end because that's when I had a deal with J Records and the budgets was opening up and I was about to go on and do stuff anyway but that was like the icing on the cake that's like what pushed things forward and um made everything like you know go according to plan but the freeway battle happened um back in the day before the internet Mm -hmm. so it was it was originally on vhs tape yeah and the dj got a hold of it and recorded the audio and put it on cd so most of the people around the world just heard the audio and was playing it on cd I'm pretty sure and, I remember like hearing, reading about it in the source before I ever heard it. Yeah, and it took a long time for people to even know that it was a video. Mm. And when they knew, it was hard to get it. Like it was a couple people that had access to the VHS tape, but not really. And it didn't really get more popular until the internet started and YouTube came out. Then they redropped it, re-aired it, and people got a chance to see it. Mm. You yeah. know what I mean? Yo, how, like, did you know for a fact you had him when he was like, put a beat on? You can't put the beat on? <laughs> nah, I knew. I'm from, we from the same city. Like, I'm from Philly. And um, I was fans of state property. Like, I used to listen to their music, and I was happy that they got in position with yeah. Rockefeller. So I was already tuned in. I already knew, like, how they rapped and everything. And they was just on the radio. I was going to the McDonald's while they was on the radio. So I'm listening to them rap and telling everybody that nobody can't fuck with them and they the best and whoever won the battle can call up and bet money and all this stuff. So it seemed like they was talking to me even though they wasn't. Mm. So I was familiar with, you know, the whole team and how they rap. And I didn't think that they was going to pick Free. Like Free super dope. Like, I mean, his first album is like a classic and all that. But I knew just like battle rap style with no beat. And just getting straight to the point and punching, he didn't do that. He got sometimes an in and out rhyme pattern. Like he might rhyme on the one and the third. And it's like that's fire on beat because you could catch it. But off beat, just battle rap style, it might be difficult to make an impression. So I thought they was going to pick somebody else. So when they picked free, I just knew it was going to be <laughs> a easy, a easy battle. You know what I'm saying? Because he's not like really like. You know, that type of rapper. So that's why during the whole battle, I'm like, man, thinking that they're going to replace Free with somebody else. Like, after a couple rounds, they're going to be like, all right, and let somebody else jump in. Who else were you preparing for in your head, though? Everybody. Everybody. Like, when Jay-Z was talking crazy, I just prepared for all of the possibilities. Mm. Man, Jay could not have put his title on the line at that time. That would have been crazy as fuck. <laughs> Imagine he gets his ass whooped by Cassidy in there, a brand new rapper. That would be like, I mean, the freeway battle was legendary, but if Jay had stepped to you, that would have been fucking nuts, yeah, regardless of how crazy. it went. Damn. Um, nah, shout out to Jay. He was just unfamiliar with who I was. Mm. It's like when Beans and them came in the room, they knew me. They they knew like a little bit about me. They was like listening to that cypher. I told you that radio show that I was winning for months and months. Like Beans and everybody was listening to that. So they know what I was capable of. But Jay-Z wasn't aware. He just thought I was just a regular little 
And people think I look young now after all this time. So imagine I look 20 years ago. Yeah. I'm just there. He probably like, man, kill this nigga. You look younger than me right now. (laughs) And I was going to ask you if at any point in your life did you just say, yo, fuck this. The beard ain't coming. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's just not for you? Yeah, that. Or or it won't grow. Nah, my beard don't, my like a whole beard don't grow on my face now. Just this what I got. Do you regret that in any way? At a certain point, sometimes you'd be around like 20 dudes and you realize everybody has a beard. It definitely is like a young look to not rock a beard as you get older. Um, I'm happy on, I got to deal with shaving and going through all of that and, you know what I'm saying? Then I got the type of face that I'm cool without a beard. Like some dudes look crazy when they young, but right. then when they beard come in, they get a, it like a hide a lot of the weirdness exactly, of their face, so yeah. it make that them look was, that better. That was me. That was me, bro. When I ain't had his beard, it was a wild, ugly nigga, bro. But the beard kind of tucked the ugly in. Yeah, and you yeah. know what I'm saying. So when I see old photos of me where I was real fat and I don't have a beard, I get disgusted by it. But when I see old photos where I have a beard, it's like, all right, well, at least you covering that shit up, you know? Yeah. So that's why I don't really. I'm happy I don't got you know a lot of facial hair, and it's like beneficial the older you get. It just keep you looking younger. Right. So make you last longer when people, when you look like how people can remember you whenever was the last time they checked in. Right. It's crazy, though, too, because, like, when you think of Philly, you think of a huge percentage of the dudes just having big-ass beards. Yeah. That's like the Philly thing. Yeah. The city is definitely known for the beards. Yeah. For sure. The beards in the building. Most of my homies, that's all you're going to see is big beards, but. Not me, though. <laughs> <laughs> Forever young. I mean, yeah. For sure. So, okay. Yeah, my son's got more facial hair than me. Damn. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's just, it ain't, it ain't me. <laughs> the other day I did a, a interview with DJ Drama, and I had been watching another interview he did on uh, Math Hava shit, and I noticed that he had, like, his beard had clearly been, like, died you know like he, he got oh, a yeah. dark ass beard but then when i'm sitting there doing the interview with him because i was about to say something i was like yo you think i should start dying my beard because i got hella grays in my beard and then in the interview his shit looked mad much more human you know like it didn't look as pitch black as it looked in that yeah. other interview so i didn't say nothing about it yeah yeah he um, gotta fix that shit bro. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hella died. how dare you that's, that's my a- man he's a legend but still yeah, that's another thing. I don't know what it come from. If it come from stress, if it's just genetics, if it's what. But I know people while younger than me, and they got a lot of gray coming in all over the place. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like older, probably been through a lot of shit that could stress you out, and I don't got them. So. I got a Vlad interview from like 2019 when my beard is black, like dark as fuck, and I had never dyed it or nothing. And then I look at myself a few years later, it's like, damn, I see the grays are for real. Solar fentanyl. I told you about that <laughs> shit. <laughs> fuck out of here. It's the wisdom, though, man. You know, everybody don't even make it to get grays, so that's it's real. a blessing. That's very true. So after that battle, what was what was the tension like in the room? Like, did it feel like everybody in the room knew exactly how it went? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I made sure. <laughs> and all I remember is Beanie. Why the fuck you stop? Free, why the fuck you stop? <laughs> I remember that type of energy. It was like everybody knew what happened. Yeah. And then they all left. Like all of the, like Beans, Oskino, Chris, Free, they all left after the battle was over, but Jay-Z had to stay. It was oh, a Mary shit. J. Blige session. Jay-Z rapped on Swiss did the beat. 
So that's the reason why we was all there. Swiss was working on the beat when Jay-Z came to change the verse up. Uh-huh. And when he introduced me as the dopest nigga out, Jay-Z felt some type of way about it and called his artist there <laughs> to prove that I wasn't. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So that's how it all went down. That's but after crazy. the battle was over, they still had to work on the record that they was working on. So everybody else left, but I was still there with Jay. Mm. And he let me know, like, all right, I ain't, <laughs> you did your thing. Like, you know what I'm saying? I doubted you, you know what I'm saying? I ain't think you was like, you did your thing, you know what I'm saying? Show me love and all that. And that was a good look. Like, you know what I mean? I was a fan of Jay-Z before I even thought I was going to get a deal or start rapping and all that, really. You know what I mean? Not when I thought I was, not before the fourth grade, but before I thought I was going to really get signed and be in the business and all that, I was locked into his music, studying his shit to get better. Right. So it's like, you know, I felt like that was an accomplishment for him to, you know, doubt me at first and then after the battle was over, change his perspective. But did... That shit didn't turn into like you having like real problems with them or nothing like that. It was just rapping shit. Um. Nah, no real problems. You know what I mean? Just, just battle rap. I mean, us just both being competitive, just trying to get in position. You know what I mean? Just being hungry at the time. I never even met Free before that, mm. and he didn't even know me. So it was just like us representing our teams at the time. I'm over here, Rough Riders, Full Surface, he over there, Rockefeller, and we just representing for both our teams. You know what I mean? That that happens a lot, though. I was about to say it's common for people to do that because I know Diddy was um, putting Shine on a couple of niggas, like, to battle him. Like, I remember Shine battled my son, but then, like, everybody had that one person that was they spitter that they was like, yo, can't nobody touch my dude right here. He's next up, not even next, he's right now. Mm -hmm. So I understand that. So that was your your role in, like, the Swiss camp or the Rough Riders camp. Mm -hmm. Like, Swiss was the one sending you to battle more than anybody else, correct? Or was it, like, a D-Y Swiss thing or? I mean, Swiss wasn't really sending me to battle. It was more like, you know, yeah, like D-Y, the Rough Rider times. But me and Swiss... When I was signed to Swiss and we was around each other, I've been in some battles. Like, um, it's times when I could be working on my project, I got budgets open or like, you know, I'm really like working on music now in the industry and we get calls. Remember a time Buster called me. Yo, I got some nigga in the studio. Call it Swiss, bring him through. We go there, it's Buster, Rod Digger, all of these, like, you know what I'm saying? People from Flipmore Squad, the studio all filled up. And, um... They bring an artist in there for me to battle. It's like stuff used to happen like that all of the time. Right. You know what I mean? We've lost so much because it's like impossible to imagine CEOs doing that at this point because they, they just would know. Like think about what a high stakes game you're playing right there. If you're Jay-Z and you've got an uh, artist and you think that they are going to have a big fucking career and you put them up against a rapper who you don't know what they're going to say. You don't know if they're going to humiliate them. You're like, you, you know, that's like a very high stakes fucking hand to poker for two rap CEOs to be playing. It's very easy for me to understand why that is not really in vogue anymore. Yeah, that's what Dame Dash told me one time we was having a conversation and he said that same thing, same thing you said. Yeah. He said if he was, if he was there, he wouldn't have let it go down. Yeah. Because if I had an artist signed to me, the last thing I would want to do is, you know, you want to control their image. You don't want to take chances and put them up against people. Like maybe if you don't have anything invested in it, it could be cool. But if you've invested money into this guy and you have to really believe in him, 
Hell no, I'm not letting them go up against. Uh, the uh, only the, way to control that back in the days was to put that in the contract. No battle rapping, no nothing. Because <laughs> back in them days, son, that shit was like Pokemon. Like, you ever play Pokemon, you see another nigga that's a Pokemon trainer, you got to battle him. That's how rapping <laughs> That's how rapping used to be. I used to walk around with his raps in my pocket, mm. spitting his raps just because you had to be on point. It could be some nigga from a whole nother. Like, I'm, I'm from the projects. I'm from Fort Greene. Let's say it's some dude from Sumner, which is a few blocks up. Mm. If he see me, he recognizes me as somebody that raps, and he asks me to battle, I got to battle him. Like You know how out here they say turn down, no fades? Yeah. In Brooklyn, it was turn down, no no battles. Ciphers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ciphers, all that shit. You had the niggas with the army caps on, rapping, rapping about pyramids and shit like that. The super miracle lyrical niggas. Then you had the spitters and him. I feel like he's the person that invented the heavy consecutive punchline rap mm. style. Like that's that goes without saying. Nobody was doing that shit. Like Cass, when I was like twelve years old, I was listening to so much of your shit, bro. That like, was crazy. Appreciate it. And it's like Yang and the Yang too. Like, you know, the same way like I battle rap now, and some people want to see you win, and a lot of people want to see you lose because you're talking so crazy. It's the same way in the industry. Like once people get familiar with you and heard about all of the rappers that you might have battled or killed or you might have came to their studio and killed somebody mm. now they either want to see you win again or they want to see somebody that could potentially beat you so the words start going out you start looking for people that could potentially do something with me so it's like people can't believe that i was having a lot of battles but i can everybody was trying to find somebody that could potentially beat me and anytime they thought that they had something, people was bringing them to the table. <laughs> and they was getting killed. <laughs> and that's how you could tell that nobody came to the table and did what they were supposed to do successfully because you would have definitely heard about it. Mm. Did it feel like that put the pressure on where it was like, all right, we got to actually drop Cass's project and shit after that shit happened? Um, no, it was before because, the first album, right? Yeah, but it wasn't out. Like, it wasn't out, so it wasn't, like, a response. And then they, like, oh, now we got to put it out because it's, like, lit right. or viral or something. It's yeah, like, yeah, but it helped create momentum, right? Um, I guess you could say. I mean, there's certain people in the industry that was uh, aware of it. Right. I guess it created some type of momentum. On Split Personality, it was, like, the first half of it was more, like, radio records. Okay. And then the second half was the more hardcore rap shit yeah how much of that was your idea versus was that the label kind of pushing that on you because you're kind of in both worlds at that time where you obviously had the ability to make hit records and then you also had the ability to do all this lyrical shit and, and real street rap or whatever um what was that conversation like or how did you end up on the concepts of almost making it like a split project it definitely was the label and the people that I was involved with telling me I need them type of records. And I wasn't really signed to like a super hip-hop label. It was like J Records. They specialize in like pop music, like top 40 music. Mm -hmm. they had so they wanted to figure out how I could get a top 40 record. That's where they would be strongest at. Um, So that's the reason why I made the first album. The first two singles was Hotel and Get No Better. Right. So I told you I came from a battle background. Everybody calling me to the studio to battle the best lyricists, and that's what I'm known for, going crazy on everybody and lyrical and never stop rapping. I'm known for that. And then your first time you come out, and even when I got opportunities like on Rough Rider, Rider, Die, Volume 2, I went crazy. Rough Rider, Die, um, Rough Rider, Rider, Die, Volume 3. Went even more crazy as Styles told me to come back again and I spit again. 
So people know me for going crazy on them compilations. Then I told you big business. I got a large house. So everybody like, yo, he about to get go crazy. This nigga super lyrical. And then your first single is Hotel with R. Kelly. So it's like a big, big record. Everybody love it. But it wasn't like the same person that they was used to. And then the follow up to that was Get No Better, which is like more like Hotel, like similar, like the same type of direction. So it's like my my core audience, like, yo, what is he doing? He going in a whole different direction. And then a bunch of people in the world that really knew me, like my main, the main people starting to know me now, think that I just make records like Hotel and Get No Better. They don't think I, I got bars. They don't think I got but another so bag I could jump in. So it was like a little confusing. And that's why I fought for my second album, the first single, to be a record like I'm a hustler. Mm. Yeah, oh, that was my song, man. I was like so young, just doing that. But yeah. well, yo, like that was also the one for the ladies era, where all the labels they didn't give a hell who you were. You needed one for the radio, one for the ladies, and all that stuff. So, like, how hard was it for you to like push the button on something like I'm a hustler? Um, I just felt like I needed to. The first two, the first two singles was hotel and get no better both directed towards the ladies but none directed towards the streets or me being lyrical or the side of me that people really knew so i wanted to do a record that could show that side but still be commercial and still be catchy and still you know be a big record but the label i was with ain't necessarily believe in a i'm a hustler type record like they would believe in a hotel type of record you know what I mean? What about the sample? How how much shit did they give you for the sample? Oh, I'm a hustler. Um, not necessarily for the sample. It's just like the the sample what it was saying. It's like nigga mm. acts, nigga nigga acts about me, nigga acts, <laughs> nigga nigga acts about me. Six like niggas calling, in the hook is crazy, yeah. And they like, yo, we ain't even to the fourth bar, and look how many times we had to count and how many edits is gonna be and how's we gonna push this? How we gonna get it played? It don't sound like a radio record at all. Like you know what I'm saying? It sound like the radio a hater record like that, but. I just know the the culture, like, not based off business or paperwork or statistics from history. I know the real culture, like, the feel of it. You know what I mean? And I felt like that was mandatory. And that's why it's, like, my biggest record. First platinum ringtone. Um, my first platinum record, it took off. And I was, like, locked up when that album came out. So if I ain't go through that case, that record could have even been bigger than that. Like the whole promo tour for I'm a Hustler, I was locked up for. Right, and it's like that shit was crazy, especially because it it feels like it's like Jay Z endorsing you on the the hook, you know. Which you know, obviously it's just you using it, but it feels like you're using it to talk about yourself. And then you almost kind of even diss him on the song by using his line against him and saying, you know, or Nas's line, I guess, and saying, you know, he, he made it a hot line. I made it a hot song. Like if there was ever a sample that I could imagine a rapper wanting to turn down, I would not have been surprised if Jay-Z had turned down the use of that sample just because there's a couple different factors going on there. And especially given the history that you, uh, you know, got a W over his artist years before. Yeah, but it's just, I don't know, man. So, Mother Nature, she she created a way. <laughs> but I was just speaking the truth, man. And I'm a super fan of Nas, super locked into the culture. So it was just like a way to flip 
you know, words that was already used in the way that I was doing it now. Mm. And um, I did make it into a hot song. I'm a hustler. It's a classic. Do you know how much money you made off the ringtones on that? Um, That was a long time ago. I ain't sure, but it definitely made me something. You are probably chopping it up with the label at that time too, right? Yeah, I was signed to yeah. J Records and I was signed to Full Surface. That was my production company. Right. Definitely. So when you look back at like... And it's split, you know, if you're talking about the hotel song, it's split between me, the producer, which is Swiss Beats, and then you got R. Kelly on it. Right. And they already legends, and I'm just a new artist. This is my first single. Right. So the publishing is not going to lead more towards me. I'm a hustler. You got Swiss Beats, the producer, and then you got this sample that was a recent Jay-Z song. Very mm. recent. I wanted. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, it was like, what, a couple years after the original like came year. out? <laughs> it was. It was so crazy. I'd never seen, I didn't know you could do that. I thought samples only counted if it was 15 years and like further back. But then I hear him come out with this Jay-Z song and it's like, bro, this came out like, 16 months ago like this is amazing like information warfare and it's, and it's a good song too normally if you try to sample something that's so new you gonna make some bullshit mm. but i'm a hustler had the streaks on lock like i, I seen so many lincoln navigators with spinning <laughs> rims <laughs> while i was listening to that yeah. shit bro that was everything in brooklyn yo. shift yeah. the culture a little bit that record you know a lot of people started I feel like I shifted the culture a lot of times. When I came with Hotel and Get No Better and them girl type records, you started to see a lot of artists do that. Then when I came with the I'm I'm a hustler vibe, it's changed it again. And then you've seen a lot of people start sampling like that, start using that beat per minute, that bop. You know what I'm saying? It just, I think it's just historical, you know what I mean? It's crazy. Some people got hot records momentarily, but don't make no shift in the culture. Mm. It's crazy because, like, at that time, there was just such a massive difference between what was hot as a street record and what was hot on, like, a radio record. Whereas now, it's like, if the label signs a a young street artist or whatever, will they try to get them to make, like, you know, more commercial stuff? Maybe a little bit. But for the most part, you're used to rappers, like, popping off with shit that's very true to their sound you know whereas back then it was like the labels were just doing so much manipulation to try to get street rappers to make different types of songs and it's just i don't know it was such a different era because of that Mm, i agree in certain ways but i disagree i feel like back then more people had an original sound they had their own producers Mm. like even though they would might try to tell you like yo we need a radio record or we need that it's like they just going by statistics they can't tell you how to put it together or tell you how to make it up or formulate it yeah so people had their own producers their own team they own even mix engineers like this the person that mix and match the our stuff like you know what i'm saying it's like everybody had their own team and their own sound you hear a beat you like oh that's this that came from this group now it's like everybody using the same producer, everybody using the same mix engineer or the same program to mix their records. It's like you can't tell nothing apart. Nobody got a distinctive sound like back in the day. Mm. So even though they might stay true to what they want to do, they copycat and they don't got no development to be unique. They just following what came before them. And that's why you're starting to see a lot of people all sounding the same. Mm. And I think like um, when people do come out with some type of, Distinction, they pop off. Like yeah. look at like Glorilla. 
Like, look at her voice. Yeah. It's, like, easy to pick her out from anybody else. So you might not like it. Some people love it. But regardless, it's, like, distinctive. It's, like, unique. So when you hear it, it's, like, oh, and the, even the way she flowing to the beat is different. So it's, like, something new to people air. And people like like to hear something new, especially the time we at now because bars is back. People tired of getting, you know, spoon-fed the same stuff over and over again when they know it's wild other stuff that we could have out there. Right, definitely. There's some, some crazy uh, stuff coming out of Philly, though. Because, like, I mean, I'm sure you've seen, like, like Uzi is obviously taking his sound in some wild-ass directions. I don't know if you know about Too Rare, but he's kind of on that, like, uh, you know, super fast-paced, like, club jersey drill type stuff. And uh, I was wondering, like, what you thought about some of the more experimental sonic stuff that's been coming out lately because it's so it's kind of like so far away from like what we think of as hip-hop but it's just obviously the kids are going crazy for it and they love that super fast bpm and shit i think it always been like that um kids like to dance and have fun you know what i mean so whatever the beat per minute was that the dancers went to back when we was young you loved it, it ain't have to be lyrical it ain't have to be that dope as long as you could dance to it and go crazy <laughs> And it's the same thing now. Like, they ain't never going to change. Kids going to always want to dance. And they not going to want to seem like they reminiscing when they do dance. Like, mm -hmm. we dance in the same way my parents did. Like, we got our own new way we dance. And that's why the beats per minute change. Yeah. But I don't got no problem with this new um, form of music. I'm happy with it. And I think it's dope. And it's super nice that, you know what I'm saying, all of these kids finding their own lane. I think we just need to figure out different names for the different forms of music that's being done. Mm. We can't call it to the, we can't call it all hip hop. Can't call it all rap. Like, cause it's not like, it's like different forms of music that all of these people doing and it, it need its own name. Mm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like somebody telling you, um, it's like basketball. But there's different types of basketball. Like you can't put high school, college, NBA, and the and one all together and just say it's all just the same basketball. It's like nah, it's different kinds of ways of basketball. You got to figure it out. And that's one thing I always notice with rap is that rap is very resistant to like just having different genres rather than just calling it rap because he knows a little bit about metal myself, you know, I listen to some punk throughout my life and stuff. And it's like those genres, they love dividing the shit up and saying, this is death metal and this is black metal and this is grind. And this is, you know, pop punk and this is punk and this is crust punk. And like, they love coming up with like different mm -hmm. distinctions that are, you know, pretty close, but there's clear differences, you know? And it's like, yeah, rap is kind of resistant to that. But I also do feel like with a lot of the drill stuff, like when I talk to like the young artists in New York, they'll be like, yeah, you know, I was make, like, I was talking to a girl. She was like, I used to be making like hot girl music. And then I switched over to making drill music. And it's weird how I know exactly what she's talking about. She's talking about making like Meg the Stallion shit versus, oh, I'm smoking on so-and-so music. And I know I could just perfectly picture it in my head. And to her, those are like the two choices when she was coming in the game, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's, that shit's kind of wild. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Definitely. But I feel like um, we in a good place, man. With technology, you could listen to anything now. Like, you don't got to just listen to the radio. Or, like, even when 106 and Park used to come on them same 10 videos, mm. used to keep playing over and yeah. over again. So you just had to, like, whatever you liked out of them 10. I remember being young and going to, like, New York or, or D.C. or whatever and putting on the radio when I'm real young. 
and they would just play the same hot song like seven fucking times in a row over and over and over and i just remember like being really confused because like where i grew up they did not do that but also just fucking hating it because it's like you know i don't want to listen to the most popular song eight times in a row i want you to play me some different shit but i mean when you really think about the radio and just the, the media landscape that we lived in early on hip-hop wise it is pretty fucking crazy yeah you ever look through an old source or wxl and it's like the artists they're writing about are the exact same artists that are advertising in the magazine or like yeah. the labels that are advertising on every page of the magazine. That's yeah. just kind of crazy when you look at like what that relationship was like at that time. Thanks. Yeah, Cassidy, I want to ask you a question about a specific song that you was on. It didn't, it wasn't so popular in like the charts, but the shit went platinum on LimeWire. Um, six minutes. <laughs> Yeah. What was on your mind? Like, who went first? Like, as far as the writing, did you hear anybody else's shit when you did it? Like, tell me about that experience, like, being on that song. Um, I felt like bars was coming back then. Like, I'm saying bars is back now, and I could yeah. feel it. I felt like bars was on the way back then. So I tapped into some dudes that I knew was getting busy at the time, which was Lil Wayne. I think the Carter One was out. And um, Fab, he was getting super busy right then, back yeah, then, punching and going crazy. I was about to say that Fab was hella punching at that time. So I'm like, damn, if we came together, you know, I'm from Philly, Fab from New York, Wayne from New Orleans. That's like three different places, but we both get busy. You know what I mean? Three different accents, three different ways we going to attack the beat. You know what I mean? And I wanted it to be like that. I wasn't focusing on no chorus or trying to make what they consider a hit. I just wanted us to get busy and spit, and I knew it would be like a crazy feel. So I just reached out to them. That wasn't like a, a label move. Like, I reached out to them myself and put that together. So I, with all due respect to all parties involved, did you know that you was going to wash these niggas like that, bro? Um, I mean, every time I go in the booth, I'm competitive. Like, you know what I mean? I told you I when in the fourth grade when I wanted to start rapping this because I wanted to be the best. So I think all artists should be competitive when they jumping on records together. Not like I'm an intentionally throw low blows or do anything like that to try to get over on them, but we should all try to do the best we can, like rap the best that we possibly can and see how that come out. So if another so, artist is not bringing it, you're not going to dim your light. Somebody's about to get ran over. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. I don't even focus on the other artists, really. Um, it's just like what I feel at the time and how I feel like attacking the beat. So um, I just was trying my best, I mean, to do the best that I can, and that's what I wanted them to do. But Six Minutes is a classic. Like, Wayne went in. I'm sure he got a lot of people around the world that feel like he got the best verse. You know what I'm saying? Um, Fab went crazy. There's a lot of people around the world that probably feel like Fab got the best verse. So that's what it's about. And that's why it's good to do like features like that because you could cross markets. Like it could be like some fab fans that never knew that they was a super cast fan until that record. Yeah, or I, some, I came in there as a cast fan, but I left listening to Fab and Wayne a lot more yeah. because he wasn't. it wasn't like apparent that he was one of the ones at that time that song dropped. He became an instant voice in the conversation, but... 
Like, when when you dropped that, it really did expose people from your fan base to the others and vice versa. Sure. So I, I think that was a smart tactic. I didn't know how it was made, but I'm happy to hear that story, man. Yeah, that was a dope record, man. I'm happy I got to do it. And that's another one from Neo The Matrix. He was talking about AM to the PM. Mm-hmm. You did it to that beat. That's another record that Neo The Matrix made classic. A lot of them beats, because I was just down with Swiss, people just think Swiss made every beat. Mm. But it was like other producers I was working with, too, on top of the legendary Swiss. That shit was smart, though, because if you think about it, like at least the way I remember it, it was kind of like you, Fab, and Lloyd Banks were kind of like known as like the punch Lloyd, uh, punchline kings at that time. And then Wayne really came in and became like super, super known for that in a way that like we hadn't really seen rappers from down south be. And so just putting that kind of song together and, like, forcing the people to, like, see y'all on the same song is, like, this is a very smart way of, like, kind of making people think about who's mm-hmm. who's really doing their thing. Yep, appreciate you. It was, like, a, another time I felt like we shifted the culture, man. And me coming out around that time, I was the one that was going crazy and punching and making it so, like, making the streets feel it, like, so crazy that... Once you hear a person rapping like this and doing all this all this punching and going crazy line after line, when you hear regular rap, it don't make you feel the same. Mm. So other rappers knew, like, yo, in order to survive and hold weight right now, we got to start stepping it up. We got to get more lyrical and start punching more. And that's when you started to see a lot of artists transitioning and, and started rapping more. Started, like, going, getting busy, going crazy. Right. And that lasts for a period of time until it went back to, like, you know, dancing. (laughs) (laughs) But okay, there's one song I have to ask about because I always like was just kind of fascinated by it and it it worked perfectly too because I got a two-year-old and she's very obsessed with her belly button. She's always just, you know, pointing out her belly button and saying the word belly button and then I'm listening to the fucking old albums and I hear belly ring and I was just like, damn, that was a crazy ass song. Like, was that like a song that you conceptualized or did they sort of give it to you and you just laid a verse on it? Nah, they they never gave me no um ideas like that. Like um maybe tracks or like ideas of who I should like do features with, but never like creative ideas. Like they never like did that. There's mm-hmm. nobody like around capable of doing that other than Swiss, but he gave me my freedom to just be creative. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know how I came up with that. Lift up your shirt. Let me see your belly button, girl. <laughs> and um, that's hard, man. It was. It was one of. It was the girl that's on it too, singing with me. Do you remember who it was? Because I tried to find it and I couldn't find it. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's a girl that I know. TD, my old manager, his baby mom, little sister. Really? That's who was singing on the song. It's crazy because she says you basically like you buy me a diamond ring and I'm gonna show you my belly ring. I was like, Oh, that's it. That's, that's a wild a, compromise. Black ass trade. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a. Hey. That was that was a little moment, man. I was in my zone and at that time too, I was doing a lot of other songs that didn't make them albums. Mm. You know what I mean? So depending on the direction that the label wanted to take me in, it depend on like the selection of the songs at that time. Right, definitely. So during that, those first couple albums and stuff, did you feel like Swiss was 100% behind you or what was your relationship like at that point? Because he's obviously, he's out of this world as well. You're having all this success, but I'm sure he's super busy. Like how close were you guys? Um, 
I mean, I always felt like Swiss had my back. From the beginning, when he first started his production company, he wanted me as a solo artist. And ever since then, we was rocking. And ever since we stopped working, he never really had no other artist since then. Mm. Like, and I mean, I feel like he put me on the pedestal. It felt good to have somebody that you could brag about, say that he the best, and he could really hold it down and stand on it. Like, mm. you know what I'm saying? That's difficult to find. And that feeling is, like, hard to replace. So I think he always supported me. Um, he gave me wild love and wild opportunities. Like, you know what I mean? Made me a household name. Made me travel the world. Had some big records. Like I told you, my first um, opportunity to really get out to the world was big business. Mm. And that's a record with Ronald Osley, a legend. Puff Daddy, another legend. Snoop Dogg, another legend. Jadakiss, another legend. And Swiss Beats, another legend. All legends that were super active that got plaques and wild records sold already. And then me. It's like that was the perfect setup. It's like the perfect layup, the perfect opportunity for the world to know what I'm capable of. So Swiss did a lot for me. I mean, showed me a lot of love, taught me a lot about making music and creating waves and melodies and how to stay on top of what's popping at the time to know what to do next. And right. I just learned a lot from him, and that's my brother. Like, When's the last time you talked to him? Or what's the relationship like these days? Um, it's still the same. I don't talk to him all the time because he got his life, I got mine. When like we not together like when we was working together or had right. business going on, but um, we talk every so often. Text a lot more than we talk. Like you know what I mean? Be texting him a lot, tapping in, checking in with him. But um. I don't know exactly the the last time. It wasn't like a day ago. It was like I mean. Could you imagine ago. you guys working on music together again? Um. Well, we got a lot of unreleased music that we already worked on. Mm. Um. Even more recently, we got back together. We was doing some project called The Crook and the Thief. It's like when I went on Who Kid show, he was there. I was rapping, and it was like around that time a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, we was about to put some music together, but I don't know. I don't know. If Swiss even, like I said, since I left Swiss, he never had another artist after me. It's not like he left music. He's still making history, but not in the same way. And I think he getting money in so many different other ways. I don't even think he got the same interest in music like he used to when I was his artist. So mm -hmm. for us to come back together and recreate what we did, I don't even think it. he even see it as being beneficial right now. That's what I was thinking when you were talking about Jay, like, you know, being in the studios with his artists and calling for other artists and challenging him and stuff. And I'm like, man, like Jay gets so much money now that I just cannot imagine him being that personally involved with any of the artists signed to him. And that's, you know, that, that, that's what really stands out to me about that, that freeway battle story is like, damn, that was like Jay Z before he became a billionaire, before he got to the certain level where he's just kind of had a million different things to worry about, you know? Yeah. That's inspiration to me though. Yeah. Like, and I mean, to see people at different levels and just believing in themselves and manifesting stuff and it coming to light. Mm, that's facts. Um, so there was this story that went kind of viral uh, a few years back where you basically, there was like a Rough Riders tour that you performed at and you basically had some critical things to say about Uzi and Yachty. Um, what's your recollection of how that went down and, and what has there been any kind of communication since? 
um that that rap was like on the spot at that concert and i seen it back like years ago i don't remember exactly what i said but i think i said i just never chose to listen to them i didn't say like nothing bad about them i don't know them like mm. i never met them we ain't got no beef or nothing it's just that type of music like at that time whatever they had out at that time i just never like listened to it at that time Right, so it wasn't anything personal, it was just yeah, a preference nah. thing? Nah, just me at that time, at that place I was at, like, and what I was focused on, I just never listened to the music at that time. But it was really, like, the big up the, like, that rap was really to talk about the legends that's, like, they was, like, new. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, when I said that line, it was, like, super new artists that, like, I'm trying to say, like, ain't putting enough ain't putting enough for me to even hear them. I don't even, like, choose to listen to that. But what about the legends, like, the people that's been putting on forever? And I start naming all them other people in that rap. So I don't remember the exact words, but if you play it back, that's what the message was, like, you so know. it wasn't personal. They just caught it straight. It just happened to be the biggest names of the young niggas you could name at that point. Yeah, that you could recognize what I was trying to say. Yeah, and, so, and it rhymed, too, with what I was piecing up, too. Makes yeah. sense. What do you listen to these days? Like, do you listen to new rap music? Are you listening to classics? Like, what what, what is your? But shit? now I would choose to listen to them. Like that was super years ago. Mm. Like they still around and they still doing their thing. And like, and I'm saying now I listen to them. They got a lot of dope music and proved themselves to be, you know, what I mean, great artists. Also, at that time, there was a lot of bullshit to confuse them with. Like, it was a lot of niggas playing around. Oh, like doing mad pills and stuff like that. So like you didn't know if these if this was just another set of pill niggas or if this was like you know something that's gonna be substantial in hip hop. Yeah. So I feel you. And I definitely knew it wasn't like what I was used to as representing hip hop and rap. I knew it wasn't based off lyrics and bars. It was like in another lane. So that's the real reason why I'm saying I'm not choosing to listen to this. Like how you said it's got all them categories. Like mm -hmm. if I'm like. Hard rock. I'm not choosing to listen to pop rock. It's like I only like hard rock. That's all I listen to. Like, you know what I'm saying? But not nothing against them or like, I just wasn't listening to that form of hip hop rap at the time. Makes but sense. now it's like, you know, years past, I done opened up and I done took it in because they talented for a lot of different reasons. I'm not just basing everything off bars right now. Yeah, definitely. Because if you think about uzi at that time he's like very early in his career and then when you think of uzi now it's like this is a dude who's made so many hit records over and over and over that it's like you know i, I was somebody who was like pretty tuned into him from early on but if i hadn't been you know it's like once you see an artist being popular for a long ass period of time you kind of have to take a step back and just as like a businessman or a observer of the culture you have to be like all right like wh what does this person have that makes them special enough that they've been able to have this many people be obsessed with them you know yeah Nah, I understand exactly what he done. Like, you know what I'm saying? That nigga talented. He dope in a lot of ways. Mm. But I just don't think you should put, like, the type of music he done in the same category as, like, what Griselda done. Mm. Like, they not even doing nothing the same. <laughs> it's like, so to say that they both is just the same, like, hip-hop, and they just both... So an uninformed fan just hear this and hear this and think right. that they got to judge it together and that's not fair it's nowhere near the same thing yeah it's just kind of silly but so okay what do you what do you ride around listening to at this point in your life um 
other than myself and my artists, I listen to a lot of old school music because I feel like that's like a certain vibe that's inspiring me to like zone out. But I listen to um a little bit of everything, man. Like I just be telling people, um, Moneybag Yo is like one of my like one of the artists that I'm listening to, like a lot of records from. Interesting. It's like um, I just like the sound of look at my wrist. I got time today. Fucking, I'm crossing the line today. Like I like when people piece up the accent, the the baggy in. Um, but I even listen to the the new girl Shibuya roll call. Like I'm listening <laughs> to that. It's like I'm listening to everything. Just taking it in, just seeing what the people like because I feel like I'm about to drop the best project of my life. Really? So I feel like I need to just be like more in tune to what's going on and. And I think my my transition moving to Atlanta, it helped me like like incorporate a bunch of different flows and ideas from being out there because it's like a whole different wave from where I'm from. Like the same way I was saying that your your stuff is always extremely structurally strong. I could see that with somebody like Moneybag Yo too, where he really like respects the flow and like his shit always just sounds really on point, which is, I just think is like a huge thing for for artists when they allow themselves to be kind of sloppy with the bars and stuff it just never really seems like it works out that well yeah for sure um, i want to work with all of these artists man like like even like dudes that's not like new that's established like kendrick j cole like drake like you know what i'm saying even legendary artists like them that i ain't get to work with i want to work with them all i know i get in the studio with anybody i'm gonna be able to make history and I'm going to learn something from them, and they're going to learn something from me. And I feel like, you know, I'm at that spot with it. So how far are you into this project that you just spoke of? It's pretty much, <laughs> it's been done for damn near a year. Everybody been telling me to release it forever and felt like I had enough records and it was a go. But I'm just, like, so passionate about this one, and I want to make it perfect that I'm still doing some finishing touches and I still got some big features to add. Yeah, man, I I don't want you to tell me this, no co no confirmation or no denial, but please, man, have some of them Griselda niggas up there. That'd be dope. Because they are spitters. Even, like, even if it's Stove God Cook, who, I'm not saying even if as if he's insignificant, I'm just saying, like, he's not the big three, but still a very talented guy, man. Like, somebody like you that's a spitter and that's a puncher, and you know your way around a good street bar, cook crack bar, too, so, you know. <laughs> Like, definitely, like, you and those guys, I would see that to be some type of wave because you can tell. Yeah, I want to work with them. I, I want to work with them, man. I seen Benny a time or two in Atlanta, and I was trying to piece it up. I just was with 38 Special um, last night. Yeah, Special's nice. Um, or no, the night before last or something. But he had an event out here in the show, came through the, you know what I mean, but I definitely want to work with them niggas. Hopefully, I mean, sometime soon, we put something together and can make it happen. Why'd you move I to Atlanta? I think the spitters need to get together and come together like, you know, like you said, six minutes made an impression. So some of the spitters that still got bars need to come together and make history. For sure. How come you moved to Atlanta? Um, The vibe. I just like it out there, man. The air, like... The land, the space, the vibe, the energy is like the black Hollywood. Everybody like focused and then trying to do something. Anything you need, it's like if you don't know that person, somebody next to you could just call that person and you could just get it and 
get it done. I just like the vibe out there. And plus, I guess since I've been in a different place for so long, it's just new to me. Hmm. Were you always in like the suburbs of Philly type area or where were you residing before that? Um, all different places. Um, I lived in Arizona before, oh, Delaware, really? Jersey, New York, all over the place. I done been a lot of different places depending on the different times of my career. But you like somewhere that's a little bit more laid back and chill? The last spots I was at was like up top though, still Jersey, New York, Delaware, like around those areas, not the south. Like I noticed that Philly niggas don't get money and stay in Philly. They go to Delaware or some <laughs> shit like that. Like that's always the move. Like, Yeah, that's like the closest place to get like a nice crib and be away from the nonsense and all that stuff. So that's where people... Normally try to go to Delaware. In New York, we go to Jersey. In Philly, y'all go to Delaware. I noticed that. That's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Well, y'all go to Jersey, too, because that shit is, like, connected at the... At, like, South Jersey is connected. Yeah, but South Jersey a little different. So, you know, that's why people normally try to go to Delaware. Yeah, that's true. South Jersey be a little dangerous. Really? But Delaware Philly. more... Delaware more calm where you could like you know what I mean get a house and be chilling and don't gotta worry about all the nonsense but I wasn't trying to get away from nothing that's not the reason I just wanted to move around I know I want to see the world I think like we brainwashed to think that you got to stay in one spot Mm. that's what be like limiting limiting your mind but once you see the world see it all that they got to offer you can make better decisions no nah, for so that's sure that's why i be in that bag if you have the ability to move around you should definitely take that opportunity because for me at this point i got so much shit that's keeping me in la that like anytime i find my mind wandering like oh maybe i could move here maybe i can move here it's like all right two mortgages and uh <laughs> you know all these employees and you got a kid who's in school or going to be in school soon in a specific place, like all this shit that's just tying you down to that area that would make moving like so much more complicated, you know? Yeah, I understand. That's why that's why a lot of people can't move around because of responsibilities and things that got them locked into one place. But if you could ever get the freedom to do it, it's the best feeling. Right. How, how are you feeling about the battle rap thing at this point? Because you were out here doing some stuff in that regard, right? Um. Yeah, the other day they had this create for you it's this new platform that was starting uh-huh. and they had a battle between daylight he from out here right. and like this mma fighter called king bow right and they was like the main event so um i hosted the face-offs like i missed the podcast i've been doing media and stuff like that like especially for the battle rap area like to get that like a little bit more lit so i hosted the face-offs and um even went to the event for these people that's putting on this new event. Right. So you're really like part of that culture. It's not just like something that you're doing a little bit here and there. You're really fucking with it at this point? Yeah, I, I feel like I started that. Like earlier, I told you like oh, yeah. this new form of battle rap was created like by me. I feel like I kind of like am the reason why this got the energy that it got. Of course, a lot of dudes came after me and start putting in a lot of work. And like they are responsible for, you know, where is that now but i feel like i'm a huge part of it right so that's why i feel like i gotta keep going and um also i want to help the battle rappers they like my favorite dudes like i like battle rap that's my favorite part of hip-hop because they competitive and they trying to be lyrical but i want them to push even harder and like you know 
go even more crazier so that, you know what I mean, we could take this shit to a whole nother level. Right, definitely. Was uh so I remember I'm pretty sure they announced it at the end of the Drake birthday bash battle, which is still the only battle that I've ever been to, but they announced that you were gonna battle freeway at the end of that event, I believe. Yeah. And I was pretty astonished that it was finally gonna happen. Uh but then we haven't really heard too much since then. Is that getting rescheduled or what's going on with it? I'm not sure. I know we um initially like locked it in. Just like when you like lock in that you're going to do a show or something and they send a deposits and everything is good and you're like, all right, it's coming. Uh-huh. But they never put the date together, never put a time together, a venue, or never put the rest of the deal together. And a lot of time passed and they still never put it together. So now it's just over. But so you already got part of your payment for it? Yeah, anytime I announce that I'm battling somebody, I already, you already got, got paid. Okay. I would never say I'm about to battle somebody if I didn't get paid yet. But is part of the contract that like if enough time goes by, then that payment doesn't matter anymore? Or Yeah, just really? like with anything else. Wow, I didn't think it was like yeah, that. Just like too much happen. time. Too much time passed. Like, you know what I mean? They were supposed to do it at a certain date. And they even announced it publicly like when it was supposed to go down and it didn't get go down. And it didn't even get, like, it wasn't even like, all right, something happened, so we couldn't do it to this date, but this, we rescheduled it for this. Uh-huh. It was no even rescheduled date or nothing like that, and a lot of time was going past. They so must I'm be getting sure. a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, right. They could afford to give UN freeway deposits and just be like, eh, whatever. I mean, that's shit. It's got to be a lot of money down the drain. One or the other, either they getting too much money and they don't care about it, or they not getting enough money where they couldn't get right. the rest of the money that was owed to us. Uh, yeah. Maybe they just bust that move immediately because we was the energy and they wanted to lock it in, but mm. maybe ain't fully think the business through. Or like you said, they may be so rich that they don't mind just giving money away. Yeah, I don't know. I've heard that they make a shitload of money in that battle rap shit. I mean, you hear what certain people get paid too. It's like, damn, they must be getting a lot of money if they can write checks like that. Nah, money don't grow on trees. Money got to come from somewhere, and they ain't getting that much money. <laughs> ain't that much ticket sales selling? Ain't that much pay per view selling? So, where's Sponsors? the money coming from? Investors? I don't know. I'm not super tapped in with it. Yeah, I, that's I, I'm the one that's getting a lot of money, so people confuse it and think because I say that I got these big bags that it's just a bunch of battle rappers running around getting that. But yeah. nah, they most battle rappers don't even get like one percent of what I charge. Right. Like so, it's like you know, it might be good for me, and it's growing in a way. Some more opportunities for them to generate money if you could create the energy. Right. But when I come around, the numbers go up. The ticket sales go up and the pay-per-views is crazy. So they can make the money back. That's why I charge so much. But so the I'll, average battle rapper don't even generate enough attention to even demand no money. Mm. So how much gets Cassidy on the stage across from another rapper ready to rap? How much money would it cost for that to happen? Um, but for this situation, it was 250000 That's what I heard. <laughs> yeah. That's what it was, but for this situation, but I'm about to go up, man. That's a nice day at work. I don't know how much you make from music or anything like that, but that's gotta it's gotta feel pretty good having that check hit. Two fifty. Man. 
it's not good. Like, I feel like I should be, like, making a lot more money in a lot more different ways for a lot more different reasons because I'm so nice. Mm. So, um, it's a blessing that I'm able to make money, but I feel like I deserve more than that. Mm. I feel like, I mean, it's a lot more available and we could do a lot more with battle rap. So that's why I'm hosting these battle raps, talking a lot about it, and giving all of the league owners ideas and coming together with them so that we can make more stuff possible for battle rappers and people that's super nice. Right. There was a rapper who one time showed me how much they got paid for a walkthrough in a club, and it was like, it was 25K, but they were not like a huge rapper at this point in their career, right? And I just remember being like, damn, maybe I really fucked up with this whole YouTube thing because apparently there's some pretty fucking good checks as a rapper. Shit, 25000 to walk through the club, that's crazy. I don't even like the club, but I'll be in that bitch seven days a week, 25 bands. You walk through the club just to sell a couple of eight balls. Easily. Mm. Mm. It just depends on how long that lasts, though. That's what they don't prepare you for. Mm. Like, if you get twenty five k to walk through a club, right. somebody, if you ain't fully wrote the song, or even if you did, but it wasn't your best work, you're not even completely all the way in shape. You're super high. You're not even making the best decisions, and you're getting 25K to walk through the club. You might think, yo, if I make some improvements, I'm going to keep getting this or even more money. So that's how you start living your life. But that might not last forever. That might be temporarily. Yeah. You might got that hit song now, and your next song might not do as good. And then they're not giving you 25 because there's another newer artist that was like you when they was giving you the 25. Now they giving him the 25, so now you need new records to get more money again. And this might be difficult for the artists to keep doing that. So if they was prepared for that, then it'd be cool. Like, why are you getting the 25? You could stack it and plan for the next flip or to do something with it if you knew that this was temporary. Right. But they don't, they don't like prepare you for it and they don't tell you that it's going to be temporary and you don't think it is. You think it's going to be forever. Is there anything you spent money on early in your career that you look back at it like, what the fuck was I thinking? Um, nah, I don't make bad decisions with money. Hmm. So you wasn't buying throwback jerseys and shit? <laughs> nah. Them shits is like 500 a pop, man. Nah, I had throwback jerseys back. Like, I had jerseys, different jerseys back then. I wasn't, like, super on it like Fab was. But yeah. I had something, like, you know what I mean, here and there, but... Um, yeah, man, I think anything, anything I spent money on was worth it. It was like a flip. I wasn't making like dumb decisions, just blowing money all the time. Mm. Nigga, R. Kelly has some ill throwbacks. Most of them shits ain't even have real teams on them. That was crazy. So I know that like the custom ones got to be more, but I used to see them shits for like 500. But you said you were smart about it, so that makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, plus when you on, like... It, it just be the people that's not on gotta go spend this money on clothes. Like, once you on, like, when I was at my brokest point, that's when I had to pay the most for clothes. Mm. When I was, like, up and super lit, like, I ain't have to pay for nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just, like, getting whatever I want. I had a bunch of stylists that was bringing wild shit. I could pick what I like. I could, like, select what I wanted to wear and what I wanted to do and I wasn't paying for shit. It's crazy because, like, the whole idea that you can't wear the same thing twice. If you're a rapper and you're shooting a music video, like, yeah. Like, you can't you can't wear the same thing to an award show that you just wore for a music video and you're going to have a different outfit for every music video. But somehow I feel like that has trickled down to a lot of normal people where they feel like they need to, like, constantly be having different outfits and shit. And it's like, nah, like, 
If you're just a regular guy, you can just wear the same shirt like 40 times. It's fine. Yeah, I noticed that. I don't know. I, I used to be real big on changing that shit. You know, young, fresh to death. But now, <laughs> it's like I'm older. I do laundry more frequently. Like, I'm just going to wear this shit. Like, if you seen it, then you know I own it. If you see it again, you know I ain't borrowing it. Mm. That's it. I guess it's whatever, whatever make you feel comfortable, man. True. Um, so I've been at, like, places... Where they don't really change clothes or when they do, you can't even tell because it's like they garbed up and they look the same. Yeah. But they like super, super up, like super rich. Whatever they wanted to do and get, they could get. They could like buy the whole clothing store, not like like the whole store, yeah. not just like something in the store. Yeah. They could buy the whole store, like, and they don't care really about the clothes that much. Like, you know what I mean? They main focus is something different. And then I know people that might, like, got most of the store in their closet but can't buy shit because they <laughs> spending it all on them clothes out the store. So it's just all about how you want to live your life or what make you happy. Some people feel happy knowing that they come out in regular clothes but got super money and all their plans going right. And some people feel good. Like, it don't matter if their plans going right or they got super money because they look like they got it. And everybody going to be impressing they when they come out, so... I guess it's all about what make you happy, but I guess there's no right and wrong. That's real. Um, do you have any thoughts about the Tory Lanez Meg the Stallion trial now that it's over since you went through some issues with Tory in the past? <laughs> nah, Tory just stole my bars and I just realized it. I had to check him on that, but I oh, don't know. On the, on the radio freestyle he did, right? Yeah, a couple times he did, though. Oh, sure. so That's where the issue came in that, but... Other than that, I don't got no issue with him. I don't know him. Mm. Like I don't, I don't know him. Right. Okay. So that was just like we never even it. met. Right. So it's like I don't, I don't really got no real issues. He never really did nothing to me. He just was, you know. The first time I heard him on the radio and he took my bars and said it, I just let it go. Like all right, it could be a coincidence or mm. whatever. But then when I did seen him do it again, and then like another time, it's like, yo, you doing that a lot, my G, and you're not even like bigging me up. You're not even like shouting me out. You trying to make these new fans think that that's you? Like mm. you really thought of that? Like yeah, I when stopped all doing that my when I was fans, 14. When all of my fans that heard that before is like saying the words with you because they remember when I said it, it's just a bunch of new fans that might not be familiar with the fact that I said it that's thinking you killing it. Right. So it's like, that's when I had a little issue, but anything other than that, I don't got no issue with the ball. Makes sense. Um, so you started a podcast? Not yet. Or you're starting it? Yeah, I'm like doing media right now with these battle leagues and getting it started. So when I do start like getting it a little lit and people familiar with how I do interviews and how I do when I'm doing media so they could get comfortable. So when I do start the podcast, it's just not out of nowhere. Right. What kind of shit do you imagine yourself doing on your podcast? What type of content? What type of guests? Um, all different type of guests, but definitely um, based around um, hip-hop, rap, and teaching people how to be dope, what the culture is about, and how and how it played a part in my life to make me who I am, and how it played a part in so many other people's life to make them who they are. But um, 
I don't want to let out all my secrets. I got a lot of special stuff that I'm going to do on the podcast and a lot of other st- Like, I'm a fan of a lot of these podcasts and all that. I'm tuned in. I'll be watching. But I got a few things that's going to make mine slightly different. Like, you, you do brain teasers? No. You're not good at brain teasers? Well, give me an example. <laughs> no, nah, I don't want to give it to you right now. I'm just asking. I just wanted to know if you brain teasers, like I don't know what, like little linguistic things to like try to make your brain work better. Or I, I can't really picture yeah, one. You said it. Okay, stuff like that. So like, I, I mean, okay, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, so that's a part of my like my show is going to have some brain teasers. Like a little on quiz. It. Here and there, I'm gonna do some of that. Mm. Maybe. I love brain teasers. I love making people think because once you get old, you still think, but it's normally about the stuff that you're used to thinking about. Like, I think about this all the time, so I got to think, but it's about my job or whatever I do or my business or my family. But using that other part of your brain, like when you're in school or when you're yeah. learning or when you're really straining your brain to think, it's like you don't really use that no more. So I feel like them brain teasers be beneficial. Damn, all right. So with all this mental exercising you be doing, how long it take you to write a rhyme that's to your standard where you say, I feel comfortable enough rapping this rhyme? Um, it, it depends. It depends on the type of rhyme. It depends on the zone I'm in. Oh, you my know. bad for asking a generic-ass question. So what's the fastest time you've ever written a rhyme? Um... I I not I wasn't really timing myself or nothing like that, but I I probably wrote rhymes like quick, and it, it depends on the length of the rhyme. Like I done came up with choruses or like you know eight bars or four bars like in seconds, mm. like oh, you know yeah. what I'm saying like in thirty seconds or twenty seconds or a minute. I done thought of stuff like that, you know what I mean? But like to actually like write like real lyrical bars and all of that out. It depends on the beat, if if I'm writing to a beat or not. Sometimes I write with no beat. So it's easier for me to deep think with no beat and no distractions. Mm. So it just depends. Sometimes I could be in a studio when there's 50 niggas there. Sometimes I could just be in the room in the crib by myself. So depending on the focus, you got to determine how fast I write or how comfortable I am with what I write. But do you do you write the whole thing down in advance always, or is there a time where you'll like punch in like the kids be doing these days? Um, all the above. I I write all the all of my bars down. I got rap books and right like like right out there. I got like in my book bag is like five rap books. Really? But I got my phone filled with raps. Like I'll show you my notes. It's just clip after clip filled with raps, and I got raps in my head. Sometimes I go in the studio, like I said, if I think of something real quick, like a chorus of eight bars, I could just go in the booth and lay it Mm. and then punch the rest like you said kids do. Or sometimes I could think of like two bars to a chorus and lay it down and then I got to think of the next six. I take every process, like, you know what I'm saying? I do it all. Like, I go in the booth. Sometimes I bring the booth, the mic outside in the studio with me. I done did every process the way like jay-z and big do like they say they like you think they like freestyling it like off the top but it's still like a writing process but instead of just writing it down on the paper it's similar like the hot kids do it's like when i think of these two bars i'm gonna record it or i think of four bars i'm gonna record it and then i got that so 
Now I could think of the next four, like writing, and then I record that until the verse done. Mm. Or I could just keep doing that in my head. Like instead of recording it, I just write the four and then I remember it. Like I'm just throwing it in my head and then I go to the next four and then I say the whole verse. But I feel like that's unnecessary energy that you use and like unnecessary memory. Like if you look at it like a computer, there's no point of like constantly making yourself remember the same thing because it's going to take away from you thinking of the next thought if mm. you got to remember at the same time. Right. So I'd rather just say it, record it, lay it, and it's done, or write it down. So now you don't got to think about what you already wrote down. Save it in your memory because it's already written, wrote down. You can move on to the next thought and think deeper. That yeah, makes sense, for sure. So uh, the next project, when's that dropping? Anything else we need to know about that's coming in the near future? Um, Two battle raps this year, hopefully. Hopefully I'll be in two battle raps this year. The best project of my life. Um, it's the year of the GOAT. So mm. 2023 is the year of the GOAT. This is my year. That's why I've been doing a lot of promo. I'm back on my bullshit to let people know that Bars is back. I'm back, like going crazy, crazy. Not just with a little project, and I just got a record. No, I'm back for real, blacking out, going crazy, like I'm 17, 18 again. Mm. So I'm excited. Um, like when I was with J Records, it's a lot of hard records that's lyrical, but it's records for the females. There's um Jews I'm dropping. It's all oh, different. Oh, I you said you was making records for the Jews. I was about to say, I never knew, but go ahead, brother. <laughs> nah, it's a lot of Jews that I'm dropping a lot of, like, information on these records, man. Like, and I'm in a lot of, I'm on a lot of different beats per minute. Like, you might even hear me trapping, you might hear me drilling, you might hear me on these different beats per minute, but I'm still talking that talk and still rhyming. Bars is back. Mm. That's what's up. I respect it, man. It was an honor uh, getting you on the show just after having listened to you for, like, 20 years or so. Uh, so it was great to have a fucking conversation for the first time man it was it was, it was definitely appreciated on my end and it's dope to see you still making moves and just being able to keep turning up after all these years yeah i'm grinding man i'm grinding man thanks for having me bro appreciate you no doubt thank you courtney for hey, joining no me problem, man. with this fucking tiny little sip of purple you got left in there yeah, i'm saying right starbucks i'll put water in this shit to dilute it too but um i guess it came out extra purple yeah, it's going to need some work. He told me he got some bars, too. Oh, really? Yeah, I ain't about to rap on here in front of Cassidy, because if you say I'm whack, then I'm quitting. But <laughs> Listen. I'm going to show him some shit. He's on the podcast, and he's he's ready to get his career moving. I like it. Uh, I appreciate you, Cassidy. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, bro. My man. Yeah. No John Burke, coolest podcast in the world. Check us out on YouTube, TikTok, Patreon, etc. Like, comment, and subscribe. Nojumber.com if you want to support. Bow.